This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. In 1933, several nation states, including the U.S., got together in Montevideo, Uruguay, to define what it means to be a state. The treaty they came up with includes 16 articles, each of which lays out different rights and duties of statehood. That's producer Julia DeWitt. But the most famous article is number one, which sets out the four basic criteria of statehood. Basically, what it takes to be a country. The state as a person of international law should possess the following qualifications. A defined territory, a permanent population, a government, and capacity to enter into relations with other states. I think a good flag is crucial too, but that's just me. Well, even if you toss in a flag, the criteria for becoming a state seem to some people surprisingly simple. So simple that a lot of people thought, hey, I could do that. And so for a lot of people that just triggered, I suppose, an idea that that meant that they could just call their house an independent country. That's John Ryan. These are countries that might even just be somebody's backyard or it could be an area that they are claiming for one reason or another to be an independent country. John Ryan is the co-author of the guidebook Micronations, the Lonely Planet Guide to Homemade Nations. And yeah, this is the same Lonely Planet that publishes tourist guides to places like Mexico and France. John says most of these micronations are just kind of for fun. They aren't expecting anyone to take them seriously. And they don't usually meet all four criteria laid out by the Montevideo Convention. Places like Molossia. Which is in Nevada, just in one guy's house. Such a lovely guy, President Kevin Bow, and... He runs this great little micronation. He gets about in military regalia and reflective sunglasses. He looks totally like a you know, Central American dictator from the 70s or 80s. Molossia's currency is pegged to the price of Pillsbury cookie dough. So they'll go up and down in value as cookie dough does. A few years ago, Molossia's president, Bao, started the Micronational Olympics, where micronations compete against each other in events like checkers and the boomerang throw. Molossia is fairly easy to dismiss as just one dude's crazy project. But then there are places like Sealand. Probably the, the world's most interesting and fascinating micronation is Sealand. And Sealand cannot be dismissed so easily. The state, as a person of international law, should possess the following qualifications. A defined territory. If you search for the Principality of Sealand on Google Maps, it comes up as a little red dot off the east coast of England. Zoom in for some photographs of the place, and you'll see a metal platform sitting atop two concrete pillars. A stilted structure in the ocean, surrounded on all sides by the North Sea. The platform is about the size of a football field. So, pretty small territory as countries go. So how did this platform in the sea become a micronation? Well, you could say it all started with rock and roll. Yes, indeed. Good morning, everyone. Tony Blackburn here with you. Feeling a little under the weather this morning. We've got a, about an eight-force gale out there blowing, so I'm strapped in the seat this morning. In the 1960s, the British government wasn't giving out enough licenses to accommodate all the music that the kids were suddenly demanding. So a bunch of DJs decided to take matters into their own hands. 
They set up pirate radio stations on ships and on abandoned British forts in the North Sea to broadcast rock music back to England. This is number one in the countdown this week from the Spencer Davis group. It's called Keep On Running. Keep on running. Well, Sealand itself physically is an, an old wartime fortress built in uh, 1943. Um, it was built in the North Sea to defend the United Kingdom against German aircraft that were following the River Thames up to London and bombing London. That's Michael Bates, Prince of Sealand. Back in 1967, Michael's dad Roy was one of the DJs trying to turn these old abandoned forts in the sea into radio stations. But don't be fooled. Roy wasn't just a rock and roll loving hippie. He was a free market capitalist. Here he is being interviewed about his pirate radio ventures. More and more business people and more and more businesses are becoming educated to use commercial radio. And this is as it should be. I would like to see radio used for every form of advertising, but there is use in every other media now. In any case, Bates and the other DJs kept getting slapped with big fines from the British government. So Michael's dad, Roy, changed course. He scrapped the idea of a pirate radio station and decided to go for something even bigger. My man always liked the challenge. (laughs) Uh, He was talking to his lawyer friend one day. My father said, "Um, what if I declared independence? Roy Bates wanted to start his own country. And uh, Lionel, his friend, said, well, no, you can't do that. And my father said, well, why can't I do it? So my father went ahead and did it. Roy thought the fort was uniquely suited for independence because of its location. It was six miles off the coast of England, and at the time, England's territorial waters only reached to three miles offshore. Three miles because that is how far a cannonball can fly and break through a foot of oak. So it's sort of a dated law. It's been since changed to 12 miles. You know, we got better cannons now. But back then, with this three-mile rule, Roy considered the fort which again was just a platform perched on two concrete towers out in the ocean, Roy considered this claimable territory. He didn't buy the platform, he didn't ask permission, he just gathered up his family and moved them there. The government might call this squatting, but for the Bates family, this was nation building. And so on a blustery day in 1967, a nation was built. Sealand has a national anthem, And they have a flag. It's actually a pretty good flag. It follows all the principles of good design. It's simple, has three colors, red, white, and black. Well, the red is for Roy, the black is for his days in pirate radio, and the white line down the middle of it is the path of purity that he travels today. I think he was slightly tongue-in-cheek on that one. The country's motto is, from the sea, freedom. The state, as a person of international law, should possess the following qualifications. A defined territory. A permanent population. The population of Sealand consisted for many years of four people. Roy Bates, founder, plus his wife Joan, his daughter Penelope, and his son Michael. Roy named his son Michael Prince and his daughter Princess. He didn't call himself king, though. I think he thought it was a bit over the top. (laughs) Before Michael was a prince, he was just a kid from England. He was 14 and in boarding school when his dad moved them all out to Sealand. Michael didn't think it would last for long. I envisaged six months, like a bit of an adventure for six months in the North Sea, and that would be the end of it. 
Michael and his dad ended up living on Sealand for about 25 years. For the most part, it was just Michael and his dad, mom, and sister out on the platform. They built a house, set up a water-gathering system, and filled some of the rooms in the towers with canned food. Nowadays, the rooms are fully furnished. There's a non-denominational chapel, generators for power, there's even a gym where you can work out. But back when they first started, the place was pretty bare-bones. Sometimes when the weather got bad and their resupply boat didn't show up, they'd get a little hungry. On those days, they would eat fish that they caught and biscuits from a box. When Michael would get sick of being on a metal platform out in the middle of the ocean, he would hitch a ride on a boat back to the mainland to find kids his own age. The minute I came back, I'd be straight out into a nightclub or something like that and have a good time. As sailors do when they, when they hit port, I suppose. I hope it wasn't quite as bad as that. <laughs> and sometimes he would even bring friends back to Sealand. I used to smuggle women out there. I mean, my dad wasn't too keen, but I used to smuggle women out there without telling. <laughs> of course! I tried to lead a normal life, even though I was in, a, in an odd place. The state as a person of international law should possess the following qualifications. A defined territory. A permanent population. A government. Sealand has various government posts apart from the monarchy. Their tax lawyer is their minister of foreign affairs, and the caretaker that stays out there when they're gone is head of homeland security. He's the one that issues visas and stamps your passport if you visit. Their legal code is pretty simple. They basically have all the same laws as England. Well, almost all the same laws. Unlike England, Sealand allows guns. Prince Michael loves guns. But they never really had to use them. Except once. There aren't a lot of ways to make money on Sealand, which meant the family was always trying to come up with money-making schemes. And sometimes these schemes got a little weird. In 1978, Roy, Michael's dad, started talking to some businessmen from Germany, Austria, and Belgium. They wanted to build a leisure island around Sealand and put a casino on it. And one day, Roy and his wife went to Austria to talk with some funders about this deal. Back at Sealand, Michael, who was 25 at the time, was figuratively holding down the literal fort when a helicopter showed up and a group of men lowered themselves to the platform. The first man down I recognized. Michael knew some of these guys coming out of the helicopter as men his dad had worked with. One of them was part of Sealand's government, its Minister of Foreign Affairs, a guy by the name of Alexander Achenbach. But according to Michael, Achenbach was trying to shut Michael's family out of the casino deal. He was allegedly staging a coup. And so he says to Michael, Hey, I just met with your father, and he signed Sealand over to me. It's mine now. And Michael in his head is like, No way. I don't believe you. And I said, Oh no, I think perhaps you'd better go back in a helicopter and bring my father out. Michael goes into the house to get everyone some drinks, and as he's doing this, Michael says Achenbach and his goons slammed the front door and barricaded it, trapping Michael in his own home. And I was in there four days until, until I was let out. After four long days, Michael's captors put him on a boat to Holland. Exiled in Holland, Michael gets in touch with his dad, who confirmed that of course he hadn't signed Sealand over to Achenbach. And they made a plan to take their country back. They call up a friend who has a helicopter company. We explain the situation. He says, okay, I'll do it. I'll take you out there. Before they take off, they remove the doors from the helicopter and tie ropes to the runner so that when they get to Sealand, they can slide down the ropes, Navy SEAL style, and storm the platform. They take off in the middle of the night. We're flying out over the North Sea with no doors in this helicopter in the dark. 
They slid down the ropes onto the platform of Sealand. We slid down ropes and I was the first one down. As I hit the deck, I could see all the Germans running out the building. Everyone was shouting in German and running around. Michael climbed up onto the roof of the building. With a, a sort of shotgun, by the way, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> in case you didn't catch that, he said he had a sawed-off shotgun. And then I jumped off the roof, which is about 12 foot high. He jumped off the roof, and according to Michael, the gun accidentally went off. Boom, it went off. Everybody's hands went up in the air. That one shot was enough to scare the invaders into surrendering. Roy and Michael let all the non-citizens of Sealand go. But the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Alexander Achenbach, did not get off so easily. Achenbach had betrayed the crown. They charged him with treason and brought him to trial. Well, my father, my father was a presiding judge, so it kind of might have been slightly biased, but... <laughs> they held Achenbach prisoner until a German ambassador actually came out to Sealand to negotiate for his release. Eventually, they let him go, and with that, all hostilities were ended. When the German government sent their ambassador out to negotiate the release of one of their citizens, this, says Michael, has them entering into formal relations with Sealand which fulfills the fourth and final criterion for being a state. The state as a person of international law should possess the following qualifications. A defined territory, a permanent population, a government, and capacity to enter into relations with other states. They've ticked all of the boxes. There's very little that that you can say to dissuade them from uh, legitimacy, really. Who are we to say that it's not a country? <laughs> That's John Ryan again, who wrote The Lonely Planet Guide to Micronations. While he might concede that Sealand fulfills the criteria for being a real state, most experts do not. Oh, definitely no, it is not a state, no. That is Yuri Vidmar. Yuri is a fellow at Oxford and an expert in international law. He's thought a lot about what makes a state the state. Sealand is just an abandoned platform it is not really a viable place to live. And by explaining that incident as relations with another state, I mean, they're trying to fit their case within the convention, but I mean, it's the joke that was, that was taken actually quite far. Which doesn't mean the Montevideo Convention is worthless. It's just not complete. What really matters, Yuri says, is recognition. At the end of the day, it is political. If, say, 190 states of this world recognized Sealand as being an independent state, I think there would be no doubt that it was an independent state. But this would, of course, never happen. There are a lot of places that meet the Montevideo criteria that, rightly or wrongly, the U.S. does not consider nations. Palestine, for example, is recognized by 135 other countries, but not by the U.S. And then there's Taiwan. Taiwan meets all the criteria. It has a permanent population, a government, a defined territory, and they are able to enter into diplomatic relations with other countries. Taiwan is currently recognized by 22 countries, mostly small countries like Tuvalu and Burkina Faso. But China still considers Taiwan to be a Chinese province. And because we don't want to piss off China, we also don't recognize Taiwan as a state. Although the U.S. government does send ambassadors to Taiwan, 
we just technically make the ambassadors resign when we send them, and then we reinstate them when they're transferred to another post. So if China says anything about it, we can be like, ambassador? What ambassador? So maybe statehood's more a matter of degrees. Some states are recognized by 120 legitimate countries, whereas others are only recognized by five or ten countries. As of this moment, no one formally recognizes Sealand as a state, not even Tuvalu or Burkina Faso. As for the population of Sealand, as Roy Bates, the founder, got older, he found it easier to live on the mainland. He died in Essex in England in 2012. Michael got married and his new wife, you can't blame her, didn't like life out on the platform, so he moved to mainland England too. These days, it's just the head of Homeland Security that lives out on the platform. But Prince Michael likes the idea that it's there, if he ever wants to move back. Sealand will likely never have true sovereignty. But at the same time, England has never formally reclaimed it. Probably because doing so would be harder than just letting it keep being what it is. So even though their little windswept platform on the sea might not be much, it is theirs. And their flag still flies. At least for now. Invisible was produced this week by Julia DeWitt and Katie Mengel with Sam Greenspan, Avery Truffleman, and me, Roman Mars. We are a project of 91.7 KALW San Francisco and produced out of the offices of ArcSign, Oakland's premier architecture and interiors firm in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. Support for 99% Invisible comes from NatureBox. You know you're going to snack, and when you do, you want it to be worth it, because nothing is worse than wasting a snack opportunity. NatureBox is the answer. Choose from over 100 healthy and crave-worthy options to be delivered right to your door. All their snacks are made with zero artificial flavors, colors, or sweeteners, zero grams of trans fat, and no high-fructose corn syrup. Sam is a nom-nom man. It doesn't matter which kind of nom-nom any nom-nom will do. And Avery and Katie fight over the pineapple rings. Right now, if you go to naturebox.com slash 99PI, you can get a free trial of your favorite snacks. Free snacks. And if you don't get your free snacks now, it'll haunt you because you're going to be hungry one day and then you'll remember that you could have gotten free snacks. Go to naturebox.com slash 99PI to start your free trial today. We're also supported by Parachute. Parachute is an online luxury betting brand based in Venice Beach. They've created a line of everyday bedding essentials to enhance your sleep. That's sheets, pillowcases, duvet inserts, and cashmere blankets. Parachute's bedding is premium quality and toxic-free, meaning that there are no harmful chemicals or synthetic finishes used. Parachute also gives back in a big way. They partner with United Nations Foundation's Nothing But Nets campaign to deliver life-saving malaria prevention bed nets to those in need. Go to parachutehome.com 99 and Parachute will give you $25 off your first order with 99PI as your offer code. That's parachutehome.com 99 and enter 99PI for $25 off at checkout to start sleeping better today. And from nearly the beginning, we have been made possible by Tiny Letter. Email for people with something to say. My boy Maslow always has something to say. What do you got to say, Maslow? If I had a country, I'll call it Maslopia. Maslopia. Tinyletter.com. It's free, easy, minimal, and powerful. The simplest way to send an email newsletter. I loved hearing about your tiny letters and tweeting about them. I knew you guys were cool. 
tiny letters from the great people behind MailChimp. Thanks to MailChimp, the Knight Foundation, and listeners just like you, we created Radiotopia from PRX, an indie label of the greatest podcasters of all time. Kind of like a Discord or a Doomtree or a Merge for podcasts. You can find us all at radiotopia.fm. You can find this show and like the show on Facebook. We're all on Twitter and Instagram. We have a Spotify playlist, all kinds of stuff. But your home base for all things 99PI is at 99pi.org. Radiotopia.